Okay, we're going to go ahead and jump into the message. We're actually concluding uh, the Reformer series this morning. Obviously, next week, um, obviously, if, if we don't know, is Easter. Uh, it's amazing how quickly it's you know, come upon us. And so next week we'll have an Easter message, but we're going to be finishing up the Reformer series. And I've really enjoyed bringing this series to you. Now, last week I kind of talked about how that was kind of part one. And, and this week is going to be kind of part two as we kind of finish this up. But remember the goal here, the idea here, what this has really been all about, it's in your notes is this, if we will learn to lead ourselves lead our families and lead our church after the life and leadership of King Josiah, I believe that we will see a renewing and a reviving of our children, youth, marriages, families, church, and community. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time. And God, I pray that you would just help me in this moment to share the words that you desire to, for, for me to share, that my words would cease and that yours would begin. Father, you're so good and we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. As we've been talking about this series, we've kind of looked at this king who, who really had some, some strikes kind of going against him as he really began his reign. Number one, when he became king, he was eight years old. He was basically, now Easton's not eight yet, but he will be in a couple of months. Basically imagine Easton running a country. And that's basically what King Josiah found himself in. His father, his grandfather were very, very wicked kings. They did things that, that were really despicable, the Bible says, and, and turned from God. But King Josiah, he takes the throne at eight. By 16, he begins to seek after God and begins to try to figure him out and learn all he can and begins to do that. At age 20, he basically goes through and he tears down all the idols and destroys them all throughout all of the country. And that kind of brings us to where we started last week when he was 26 years old. And if he's 26 years old, King Josiah begins to renovate or fix up the temple. Now, this is Solomon's temple. This is a beautiful place that, quite honestly, his father and his grandfather and some other kings had really desecrated and just done some horrible things. And so, in the process of this renovation, they kind of are going through things. It's kind of spring cleaning time, and they're going through, and they actually find something very important. We talked about this a little bit last week. We're going to start here this week to kind of you know, piggyback into what we're going to be sharing this week is kind of part two of, of last week's message. And so we're going to be again in 2 Chronicles 34. That's kind of where we've been taking all the verses and things like that as we've looked at this series. But we're going to be in 2 Chronicles 34, starting with verse number 14. And this is what it says. While they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. And we talked about this last week. We think that a lot of theologians and scholars believe that they found basically either a portion or all of the book of Deuteronomy. Okay? And so they come and they find this and they're like, oh my goodness, this is, we, we, we found the book of the law. We found the basically God's word. And this is a big deal. This is a massive situation. And so they, they find it. Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? And that's kind of where we pick up the story in 2 Chronicles 34. In, uh, verse number 19. This is what it says. So they go and they, they, they read it to the king. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. 
Last week we talked about this idea of tearing, is this idea of repentance, this idea of just heartbrokenness. It was, it was, kind, of a, it was kind of an outward expression of what was going on in the inside. And when the king hears these words and realizes how far away from God's law they have really gone... He tears his clothes in just repentance and in just heartbreak and just, oh my goodness, type of situation. That's what we talked about last week a lot. And this week, we're going to kind of pick up the story here, okay? We're going to kind of begin to finish this story out, and we're going to turn in our Bibles again to 2 Chronicles 34, starting with the first part of 22. So this is where we're at. So Hilkiah... And those whom the king had sent went to Helda the prophetess. Okay? So this is kind of the beginning of verse 22. So let me stop here for just a moment and let you know what's going on. After this has happened, and they've found the Deuteronomy, and, and he's torn his clothes and all these things, he's heartbroken, he sends Hilkiah, which is the high priest, and, and some other individuals to this prophetess that lives there to basically say, hey, where, what can we do? Where are we at? Kind of goes through all those types of things. Now let's pick it up again with verse 23. And she said to them, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me, meaning the king, thus saith the Lord, okay? Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants, all the curses that are written in the book that was read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and it will not be quenched. Yay! <laughs> no. <laughs> Now, here's the thing. Let me kind of stop here for just a second and explain to you. If you look at the book of Deuteronomy, you see a lot of this sort of things. And you see it really in the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, but even more so through these areas, where God basically goes to his people and he says, listen, I am going to give you a choice. Now, isn't this great? Now, listen to this choice that God has given us. He basically says, if you do what I've asked you to do, I will heap blessing on you and, and you will live in the promised land. I mean, it's just this glorious stuff if you will obey me and if you will follow me. But there's also the other side of the coin. And the other side of the coin says, if you don't, so not so good things are going to happen. Okay? And so what happens is they've read the law. They've figured these things out. They go to this prophetess, and she prophesies through God, through God speaking to her, and says basically, look, you chose the wrong thing. Now here, let me help you with this, okay? Because sometimes we hear that and we go, well, God, that's not really nice. God, that's not really the way it should be. Or, or God, that's, this is over, over a period of hundreds of years that they have turned from God, Okay? This has been a lot of time and a lot of prophets that have come and said, you need to change, you need to turn, you need to stop doing these evil things. But at some point, at some point, God says, you know what? You've made your choice. And that's hard sometimes for us to understand or accept. But remember what God said. If you make the right choice, blessing and protection and, and prosperity... But if you choose the wrong, there will be a consequence. Listen, I, could, I would not sleep well at night, hear me in this, if I wasn't honest and said, listen, sin has consequences. It does. 
It does. Now, listen, we have grace, we have mercy, we have love, but if we won't accept those things, there will be an ultimate consequence. Okay? And so in this situation, in this story, she said, listen, this is coming. This is actually coming. Okay? Now let's continue. 2 Chronicles 34, 26 to 27. But, she's continuing to speak here, but to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard. Now, verse 27 is really the key this morning, okay? Verse 27, this is what it says. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God. When you heard his word against this place and its inhabitants, and you have humbled yourself before me, and remember, torn your clothes and wept before me, I have also heard you, declares the Lord. Verse 27 is important as we're looking at this this morning, okay? Because here's the thing. What I found in culture and things of that nature, there's only so much I can do. I, I wish I could go into certain people's homes and houses and, and force them to, to do what God's asked them to do because I promise you, I believe it's better than what we could dream up on ourselves. But I can't do that. Only I can control myself. Even the king, even the king who had the most influence and was doing some amazing things, he couldn't force people to follow God. He couldn't go to them and say, you've got to do this. I'm forcing you. It really, because it was a heart issue inside of them. But here's the thing. How did he respond when he heard God's word? The Bible tells us that he was tender. And humble. It's in your notes. Here's the thing we need to understand. King Josiah's posture before God and his word was one of tenderness and humility. Tenderness and humility. Listen, because here's the thing. Sometimes what happens is, is God will speak to us. God will lovingly correct us. God will say, listen, you're going down a path that ultimately is not going to be a good situation. And he does that. And you know what? Sometimes, well, I'll just speak for me. My attitude is, God, how dare you tell me how to live my life? God, I know what I'm doing. Josiah didn't do that. He his response was one of tenderness. His response was one of uh, humbleness. He didn't blame his grandfather, which he could have. He didn't blame his father, which he could have and could have really had a pretty decent argument. But he didn't. He ripped his own clothes. He felt and he was tender before God and his word. He humbled himself before God and his word. Because he did that, look at 2 Chronicles 34, verse 28. She continues, Behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place and its inhabitants. And they brought back word to the king. Let me kind of give you an idea what happens here. This does take place. The Babylonians and the Syrians, they come, they destroy the temple in a lot of ways, they destroy things, they take the people into 70 years of exile. That's where we get the book of Daniel and some of the other books that we see, even as they come back and begin to try to rebuild walls and things like this. This did happen, but God makes King Josiah a promise. He says, because you did these things, because you were following after me, he said, you won't see them. You will have a peace. But listen, he does say this. Once you die, 
all bets are off. All bets are off. And this is a kind of a weird way to end this series because, you know, I, as I was coming here, I was, I was talking, I was like, you know, it's like, I'm going, man, this isn't necessarily uh, like a really uplifting message at the end, you know, but, but the thing is, it's still really cool because we're focusing in on, on one man and his, the way he lived and his leadership. And listen, here's the thing we need to understand. Sometimes we think because no one is willing to do what we want them to do, that we are a failure or that we didn't do enough or we could have done more, all these things. Listen, God has called you personally to fulfill his calling for your life, Okay. He's called you to make those decisions and to follow after him. Listen, I could tell you about prophets and, and people that, that basically, I mean, they worked for years and years and years and nobody listened to them. That's hard. Sometimes we want there to be, listen, hear me here. We want there to be a payoff. But so many times people get to make their own choices. So this morning... I have a question for you. I have a question for you as we close all this out, as we talk about God's word, as we look at this, it's in your notes. How do you posture yourself to the word of God? Okay? This is about you today. Okay? I, I know that the world is, is spinning out of control, and we can focus on that and, and all those sort of things, but I want us to look at us today, and it's a good thing to do. How do you posture yourself before the word of God. Let's look at a couple verses here to help us see how we need to do this. In Psalms 1-2, um, it, it begins with a really awesome verse. And basically in verse 1, it talks about blessed is the man and, and that, that does these things. And then it starts again in verse 2. It says, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. I like that word delight. Okay? Listen, I don't know how you picture the word delight, and it's probably just because of, of where I'm at in my life and certain situations, but you know what I think about the word delight? You know who I think about? Okay, hear me here. I think about grandkids and grandparents. Grandkids and grandparents. Grandparents delight in their children. It's amazing to me, too, because I don't know about the fact that when I was their children, if they truly delighted in me. But somehow, when it's grandkids, oh, and that's awesome. I think that's beautiful. You know, you heard the joke, you know, you got to get through kids to get the, the best prize, which is the grandkids. But you know what, grandparents, they delight. They focus their attention. They kind of spoil them a little bit. They enjoy all those things. And there's this idea of us looking at the Word of God and delighting in it enjoying it so much or, or think about you know think about your favorite dessert you know i'm not talking about broccoli here your favorite dessert no one should delight in vegetables okay i don't if you do then we we need to talk okay i'm teasing but you delight in the oh what, what's that dessert maybe that that grandma used to make or 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 that you go to the, the that store and they have that awesome dessert and you delight in it let me ask you a question. When you look at God's word, do you delight in it the same way? Because God's wanting us to. God, listen, this is better than any dessert you've ever had. This will fill you up more than any dessert. This will change your life. We do that all the time. I just had the dessert. It changed my life. No. 
It didn't change your life. It simply was something that you enjoyed. But this is something deeper. This needs to be something more. And then there's another step. He says meditating on it. You know what I found in our world today? It's really, really hard to find the stillness to meditate on things. Okay? And we've got to find that. When it comes to, I don't know about you, but I have, I have like most of us do, we, I have the phone version of the Bible and I can go through all the things. You know what I found? Like when I'm studying and I'm looking, I can't use my phone. Because you know what's going to happen? It's going to get an alert. I'm going to go, oh, you know, I need to check my email. Oh, I need to email somebody. I, I have to do this or I have to do that. It's, it can be so distracting. I have to take my phone and put it away and, and actually get out the old book with the, with the onion pages so that I can focus and meditate on it. You know, I've, I've talked to people. It's like, well, how, many, how much should I read the Bible a day? You know, should I read it for five minutes or ten minutes? Or, or, or they'll say this, how many verses should I read in a day? And I always say, listen, it's not about how much time you spend as far as like how many verses you can get through. Now, I know some people like to do like a read the Bible through in a year, and that's great and fine. But, but sometimes God is going to want you to meditate, hear me, on one word. To hold to that and figure out what God is wanting us to understand and see in that. That there needs to be this deep meditation on it. Let's look at 2 Timothy 3. In 2 Timothy 3, 14, this is what it says. We've kind of heard this verse before, but it's a good one to remember. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Christ Jesus, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for the training in righteousness that the man of God, hear this, this is important, may be complete, equipped for every good work. You know what I hear a lot in our culture today? This idea of wholeness. This idea of completion. You know, here's the thing. We need to understand that. This, You know where that comes from? It comes from God's word. I think one of the things that we see so many people so upset and so frustrated in, in life in, to an extent is this concept that they're trying to find wholeness. They're trying to find completeness that was placed there in all of us by God. But the problem is, is they're looking, as the old song would go, they're looking for love in all the wrong places. If you want that, if you desire that, it's in this book. It's in God's word. It's there. But you know what? You're going to have to go sometimes and spend the time to find it, to, to, to meditate on it, to delight on all of these amazing truths that God's word shares. So as we kind of close this out, I want to share some truths about God's word. Now, some of these you may know, some of these you may not know. But I think it's important that as we kind of look at these things, I, I, I kind of want to share some truth and also a little bit of application as we kind of bring this whole thing to a close. Because again, I believe God wants to do something awesome in our church and in our families and in our world. But you know what? We've got to follow King Josiah's example. 
And so to have that tenderness, to have that humbleness, we need to understand some of these truths. Number one, the word of God gives direction. Gives direction. Look at Psalms 119, 105. This is what it says. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Now listen here. You ever been lost? Now, now listen, I know that for most of us that are under the age of, let's say, 24 maybe, I don't know, we have not really been, now I'm above that age, okay, so I don't fall into that category, but, but we don't really know what it is to be lost, okay? How is that possible? It's simple. We can pretty much get onto some type of an app on our phone and it'll triangulate and all these fancy schmancy things and basically give you a rough idea of where you are. But I remember being a kid and being lost, lost, like no idea where I was type of situation, okay? And that's the thing, is I look at our world, and although we have all these things to triangulate where we are in our spiritual, there, there's a lot of people that, that really are just kind of, they don't have no direction. They're not quite sure where to go. And so here's what happens, and this is, this is pretty normal. They'll, they'll run over here and they'll, they'll say, okay, is there something over here that I, that I need to find? Or then they'll go over here and they'll, they'll look for more direction over here. You know, we, we do, we're giving away Easter egg bags with Easter eggs so they can have an, a, a do-your-own-home Easter egg hunt. Have you ever watched kids do an Easter egg hunt? I love it because all the eggs are all over. But you know what? When you send, you know, we haven't done this recently, of course, with everything going on. But, you know, like, have you ever seen one of those big ones that, like, hundreds of kids? And it's just like this mass of children just going after eggs and candy and, and whatever else is there. And it's just... You know what I see our world today? That's what I see. I see so many people that are just trying... Listen, if I can just find the right egg... You ever been to one of those egg hunts where it's like, every egg, you know, we have 10 million eggs, and all 10 million eggs have candy in them except one, and that is the golden egg, and the golden egg has $10 in it. And I've watched kids, I don't know if you've seen this, I've watched kids, they'll go up to an egg, and they'll pop it open, nope, and they'll drop it, and then they'll go to the next egg and pop it open, they're looking for the 10 bucks. It's like, just get the candy, kid, you're, you're going to have a hard time finding the egg with the money in it. But that's what they do. Listen, the Bible, the word of God gives us that direction that we need. Where do I go? What does God have for me? Why am I here? What's God's purpose for my life? All of these answers, all of these directions, God wants to give you through his word. It's here for you. But you've got to use it. Okay? Do not... Do not be like the, the, the dad that you always hear about, that you don't hear about as much anymore, where they're, they're lost and they won't stop for directions. They just keep doing circles. Be willing to understand that God's word wants to illuminate those things to us, wants us to walk through those paths and, and know those things and have that direction. Number two, and this is a big one, the word of God gives correction. The word of God gives correction. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. This is what it says. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and the morrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
And no creature is hidden from his sight. But we are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give an account. Now, let's stop. I want Listen, when it comes to, to correction, I want us to, to, to take whatever you've understood as correction, and, and to an extent, I want us to put it aside, and I want us to look at this in a brand new way. Because a lot of times we hear correction, and here's what we do, okay? Let's be honest. We turn into that 14-year-old teenager who thinks they know everything, and we refuse to listen, okay? I've said this before. I'll say it again. As I have gotten older, it has been incredible how smart my parents are and were. But when I was 14, I'll be honest, I'm sorry, they were, the, they were as dumb as a box of rocks in my world, Okay? And unfortunately, some of us take that mentality into our spiritual walk with Jesus. And we think we know it all. Listen, there is something so freeing and amazing about knowing where the guardrails are. We've talked about this. Okay? Because here's the thing. We got this think that God's word is just this rule book that basically tells us how to live a stuck-up life. You know that's not anything that's what this is? Yes, God gives us guardrails. But here's the thing. It's not a guardrail that basically keeps you moving like this. It's a guardrail that's large. And as long as we are in that freedom and in that, there is such peace, there is such joy. Why? Because if you go over the guardrails, ah! I don't want that. You see, but in the middle, in the middle where God's got you, There's such peace and joy. Listen, hear me here. We should never despise the correction and the discipline of Jesus. Is it hard? Yeah. Is it fun? No. Is it awesome in how it keeps us safe and in joy and in peace? Yeah, it really is. And the Bible gives us that. There's so many times I have people coming, can I do this? Should I do this? Where am I at? I said, what's God's word say? And they say, I I don't know. I said, well, let's look. Because it's not about what Aaron says is okay. It's about what God's word says is okay. That is where the correction is. And we need to enjoy that. Because it's God's way of keeping you safe and whole and in peace and in joy. Listen, the fruit of the spirit that we all want, that peace, joy, kindness, long-suffering, all those things cannot be found anywhere except being in that place that God wants us to be. Because when we get out of that, that's the clue that we have that God says, listen, you need to get back here where I want you to be. And he's a good father. He has good things for us. Number three, the word of God is spiritual food. It's spiritual food. To show this point, we're going to go back to Exodus. In Exodus 16, basically where we're at is, is the children of Israel have, been, have been gone through the, the plagues and they're free from Egypt, the Red Sea, and now they're hungry, basically. They're in the desert. And so here's where we pick up the story in Exodus 16, 4. It says, Then the Lord says to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion Every day that I must, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. This is manna. 
And basically, it's, I, I, I don't know, I mean, I don't know about you, I've always like wanted to taste manna. And people have kind of speculated of kind of what manna was like. And I've heard everything from like basically like a honeycomb type of, of wheat flour kind of cracker with honey on it to almost like, a, like, like basically like a, like a pastry type item. I don't know. But I, I was like, oh, what would manna be like? But God says something very interesting here when he says, I'm going to rain down this bread. He says, you need to gather enough for each and every day. I didn't read it, but basically what would happen is if they would get more bread, if they said, listen, this is enough for today, but I better get some for tomorrow too, it would go rotten. It would, it would get disgusting in their house. And that's what it means when God says, I want to see, I want to test you in this to see what it is. But this was a daily bread. This was a daily substance that God was giving his people. Now let's jump ahead to Matthew 6. Matthew 6 is the, is the, is the, 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 the uh, Sermon on the Mount portion of Scripture. And this is what Jesus says as he tells us in Matthew 6, 10, and 11. Look here at the, at the situation. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Our daily bread. Okay, listen, this wasn't one of these things that pastors all got together a hundred years ago and said, listen, let's harp on this idea that people should spend time in God's word every day. This is what God's word says. Listen, this is a daily thing. We want you to understand that at this church, that you need to be in God's word on a daily basis. Okay? And again, you go, Aaron, where do I start? I send you an email every day. Start there. Okay? Start there. And there you can find that food for your soul. There's so many times where I've dealt with people, and you know what? They're just spiritually weak because they haven't eaten anything spiritually in a very long time. This is a daily thing. This is a daily thing that God wants you to understand and experience. And the final one, the word of God must be memorized. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, okay? I thought with that word must for two or three days. I said, is it really, does it, does it have to be, you know, is it must? And, and listen, I, I just felt in my spirit that it just kind of came back to, yeah, Aaron, it does need to be memorized. Now here, let me give you a caveat here, okay? I am not saying that you have to have it memorized in a certain version or word for word. But I believe that it's important that we do this. And this is why. Look at Psalms 119.11. We've heard this verse before. Your word I have treasured, and that's good. That's a good start. Treasured and stored in my heart that I may not sin against you. Listen, there's two sides of this coin. We treasure it and we store it. Why? Why? Well, in this verse, we see the first one. The first one is so that we don't sin against God. So we know where those guardrails are, okay? But secondly, I believe that God, through his Holy Spirit, wants to bring things to your mind and memory in exactly the right moment. In exactly the right moment. But here's the thing. If it's not stored, it's hard to grab. Does that make sense? 
There needs to be a well that, that, that can be drawn from. If the well is dry, it doesn't matter if you have a bucket. It doesn't matter if you have the rope. You're not getting any water. But when we take God's word and we store it in our hearts. And again, I'm not saying that, that you need to know it all exactly. I'm not saying that you need to memorize the entire Bible. But listen, I do believe this. I believe that there are times and seasons in your life where God is going to give you portions of Scripture that he wants you to hold on to and memorize so that at a moment's notice, you can bring it back to your mind and let it be an encouragement to you or to others. But if it's not there, it's tough, okay? Here's the thing. I believe that God desires us to have such a deep understanding of his word and have it so ingrained in our heart that it just kind of just comes out and we don't even hardly recognize it in some ways because it's just so fluid and it's just so natural inside of us. But I believe God wants to do that. So here's the thing. Start with a verse. I'm not saying... At no point in this message did I say, okay, listen, folks, to really this is what God's asking you to do. Okay, uh, you know Leviticus? Memorize it. If I did, you could fire me, okay? I would not do that. Maybe, maybe, no, I wouldn't. That's hard. But find a verse. Find something that God wants to speak to your heart and hold it. And be open to God wanting to share those things with you. It's so important. It's so important to hold those things close. Because you'll never know. And here's what's beautiful about it. It's not just. It's not just being able to recall it for you. I can't tell you how many times my wife has encouraged me with the scripture that she has memorized. We can encourage each other. We can encourage each other. Listen, I want to end this with maybe one of the worship team. Why don't you come on up? God's word is so amazing. It's so incredible. But I want to I encourage you guys with something because I know enough about people to know kind of what begins to kind of rattle around in some of our noggins right now. You know, we, we, we tend to go, well, this or that. So I want to I do an exercise with you this morning, okay? I want to do a little bit of an exercise, okay? So I need your help on this. I want you to take a moment, and I, I really want you to think about this because this, this is important. I want you to answer this question in your mind. Have you breathed in the last five minutes? Okay, yes? Okay, here's the part of the exercise. If you answered that question, yes, would you stand? I I mean it, would you stand? This is an exercise. Yeah, there you go, good job, good job. I knew you could do it. If you breathed in the last five minutes, please stand. Okay, I, I won't take long. Okay, if you're physically able, okay? Okay, now, if you are standing, God wants to speak to you through his word. I'm looking, and unless they're doing computer stuff, even Fred's back there standing. Everybody's standing. But Aaron, I'm not good. God doesn't want to speak to me. Oh, yes, he does. You mean I don't need somebody else? No. Do you understand? The God of the universe that spoke and there was light 
wants to talk to you. Wants to share life with you. Because here's the thing. If you're breathing, it's open to you. And you say, well, Aaron, this is kind of, why would you do that? Because you know what? So many people make excuses. And they say, you know, God doesn't really want to speak to me. I'm not, I'm not spiritual enough. I've messed up too many times. Listen, if you're breathing, God loves you and God wants to speak to you. And here's the thing. A lot of the time, he does that through his word. Okay? A lot of times... He wants to speak through his word. Listen, some of us need to change how we deal with issues and situations in our life. Because when things kind of hit the fan, if you know what I mean, we go every place but God's word. And that needs to be in a lot of ways with prayer, the first place we go. I cannot tell you how many times I have been dealing with something and it's been hard. And, I've, I, I, and I, it's taken me time too. I've gone to all the other things. And, you know, and finally I go, you know, maybe I should stop and really hear what God has to say about the matter. And I open his word. And, and, and as it says, as with the verse we looked at in Hebrews, it is alive and active. You say, Aaron, God doesn't want to speak to me. Are you breathing? Yes, then he does. How's he do it? Usually through his word. Can he speak in that still, small voice? Can he do those things? Absolutely. Does he? Absolutely. How does he seem to do it the majority of the time? Through the word that he gave us. You say, Aaron, I don't know how. I don't... I'll help you. I'll help you. It's not rocket science, and that's the great thing. We can all hear our Father's voice. But it's, it's there for you. For all of us. So here's the deal. We're going to pray, and then John and the worship team is going to come and going to lead us in a quick closing chorus. But, but I would like for you to do me a favor. As we pray, I want us to pray. All of us need to pray this. I don't think any of us cannot pray this prayer, no matter where we are, okay? And that's not a knock on anybody. It's just an understanding that we're all on a journey with Jesus. But I want us to pray today, specifically that God would give us a new desire, a new hunger for his word. That we can have that direction, that we can have that correction, that we can have that spiritual food, that we can store and memorize God's words in our heart so we're ready whenever God needs to bring that back up. But here's the thing. We've looked at this. We've studied the life of King Josiah. And in his world where everything was falling apart, one man made a difference. One man did it by seeking God and removing the idols and, and humbling himself and being tender to the word of God. You go, Aaron, I thought this was going to be this great, like really complicated message. You know what? It isn't. It's the same as it's always been. But when we do these things, God honors it. And God does in us and through us what only God can do. And it's glorious. It's glorious. So today, we're going to pray that God will give us all a new desire, a new hunger, a new, a new that we would delight on God's word and meditate it, all those things. Father, we love you and we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity. And God, I pray right now for me and every individual here that you would give us a new hunger for your word.
It is all, it is what we need to navigate our lives and this world. You have given us this amazing gift. And God, I pray that we would once again begin to desire it. Once again, begin to study it. Once again, begin to look deeply into the truth of your word. Help us, God. Thank you for always helping us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. John and the worship team are going to come and lead us in a quick closing chorus. God, as we conclude this series, God, I thank you for the life and the leadership of King Josiah. God, I thank you that he didn't follow in the ways of his father or his grandfather, but as scripture tells us, he followed in the ways of his father David, a man that you said was a man after your own heart. Father, I pray that throughout all of this, you would give us the help that we need to follow his example. You're so good. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, thank you so much for being here this morning. I hope you have a great week. Um, it's obviously a big week. If you need your eggs and your baskets, Please come see me after service. I'll get those to you. I love you. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.